welcome to all of those who are joining us right now live by our internet TV. Also, welcome to those that I know watch this program, not on Sunday, but later on the week. You do follow us at the Kensington Temple Teaching Service, and it's great to have you on board with us today. We, during this month, are looking at the subject of end-time truths, end-time truths. And our desire is to give people an understanding, a basic understanding, of what will happen in the end times so that we can understand when we hear preachers on Christian TV or we read books, we will have an understanding and a context of knowing some of these things. We've looked, for example, at the return of Jesus, Jesus coming soon. We've looked at the rapture. Um, we, we've looked at the Antichrist. And all of these sessions, of course, with all of our teaching services, are on our media page, on our home page. You go to the media page on Katie's home page and you scroll right down to near the bottom and you see that there is a series. It says series. You press on the series that you're interested in and all of them come up lined up. You don't have to fish through all the weeks for any of the series that we've done, not just at the teaching service, by the way, but in all of our services. So today we're going to spend some time looking at the question, what happens when Jesus returns. We've looked at the rapture of the church and the second coming, but what happens at the second coming? Jesus comes and then what? And what does he come to? Is something happening? And then what happens after Jesus has returned to earth? Is that the end of everything? Do, do we suddenly have a new heavens and a new earth? Do we suddenly move into eternity? Or is there still unfinished business to be done on earth. If I could have the end time timeline that we've been using behind me just for a, a few short moments, if you get it, you can see behind me there if you, that we have a basic end times. There, right at the beginning, you can see where the cross is. And in our second session in this series, we looked at the birth pains and the seven seals of Revelation chapter 6, and we compared Revelation 6 with Matthew 24 and we saw that the Bible teaches us the sort of things that are going to take place just before the end of the end times, the great tribulation. And uh, we saw that in Matthew it spoke about the birth pains, didn't it? Or the birth pangs. And we said just like a, a woman that's in labor, as, uh, about to go into labor, the nearer to labor she gets, the stronger the contractions, and the more frequent the contractions. And so he looked at some of the things that would take place that Jesus prophesied throughout history and how these things like wars and pestilence and famine and the preaching of the gospel, how these things would get stronger and stronger as we closed in the end of the end times. And we use the example of wars. Wars have taken place right throughout history. But in the last generation or so, those contractions, if you like, of the end-time birthing process. When it comes to wars, we didn't just have one world war, but we had two world wars, and there are wars constantly going on around the world ever since then. What is it? It's a sign that we're coming to the end time. We then had a look briefly at the tribulation, and behind me you can see that those dotted arrows going up, what are they? Well, those are the different opinions about when the rapture, the catching up of the church to Jesus is going to take place. 
we have, and I'm standing under it right now. This is called the pre-tribulation rapture. The, just keep the long shot on it, thanks. Until I, that's right, because I'm going to go through it. The pre-tribulation rapture. That is the teaching, the sort of left behind Tim LaHaye books, that Jesus could, come, could get his church and rapture his church at any moment. And at any moment, the, the church can just disappear and people will go, eh, where have they all gone? They've been raptured. And then pre-tribulation rapture says we will go through the great tribulation and the antichrist until the coming of Christ. And then the next one I'm standing under, this is the mid-tribulation rapture that says that the antichrist will be revealed, certain things will happen, the church will be there, but in the middle, usually the seven years that they talk about, in the middle of the great tribulation, the church will be raptured up to heaven and stay there for a great marriage supper until the coming of the Lord. And then finally, we have the position of post-tribulation rapture. And what this teaches is that when Jesus returns, the church will be raptured to greet him in the air and come down with him to earth, the post-tribulation rapture. If this is new to you, get on the website, go back a few weeks, and it's all there for you. But what we're going to concentrate on today is the coming of Jesus. Whatever your view on the rapture, and there's many different views, we all agree that Jesus, in the same way in Acts chapter 1, uh, he went up physically to the throne of God, so he will physically return to earth. When will that be? We don't know the day of the hour, but is there an occasion that he will return? And then after that, you can see above me, we have a period that I've put the millennium. What happens on earth after he's returned? We're going to have a look at that. Thank you. Um, you can go back to uh, the, the end times. Thank you, Truths, for that. So I'd like you to come with me to Revelation, please, chapter 19, verse 7. It's going to be a longer reading than normal because reading it will give you a picture of what's going to happen and then we're going to go into a little bit more detail of what's going to happen when Jesus returns. Revelations 19 and verse 7 following. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, this is the angel, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. But I, John, fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. 
He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses. We're not talking about Findus, lasagnas there, by the way. Uh, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, remember the Antichrist? And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon and the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God and who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is the sand of the sea. And they went up from the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it whose face, from whose face the earth and heaven fled and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And then down to verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Well, I, I did that reading because really, in that reading, that explains everything that's taking place at Jesus' return, and then also explains what will take place on earth afterwards. 
And you will notice uh, that a number of times we have the statement a thousand years. Did you, did you see that? Jesus is going to return and according to Revelation there's going to be a period of around a thousand years where Jesus and his saints will be ruling and reigning on the very earth that we are on today. And I want to unpackage some of that. It's called the millennial rule of Christ. But let's go back a little bit. We saw that Jesus was coming on a great white horse with the armies of heaven, which were the angels of heaven, and he was coming during a battle. Did you see that? And that when he came, out of his mouth, he dealt with the enemies, and he also captured the beast, the Antichrist, and his false prophet, and, and, and dealt with the armies that were against him. Now, we can see this also found in 2 Thessalonians. So come with me. We're going to build a picture together of what, what is happening. 2 Thessalonians. And we've been to this passage before when we looked at the Antichrist a few weeks ago. Um, 2 Thessalonians. And verse 7. Two, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, that's God, will do so until he is taken out of the way. And though then the lawless one will be revealed when the Lord will consume with breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one or according to the working of Satan. So there we see that when the time comes and Jesus comes, he is going to destroy the Antichrist. And so Jesus' return is during a battle. And this is the battle that often people refer to as Armageddon. You ever heard of the Battle of Armageddon? Have you ever wondered where it was in the Bible? And uh, people use that phrase, don't they, Armageddon. As, as the end time. It's not the last battle that will be fought. There's another battle that will be fought at the end of the thousand years. We, we, we read that. But this battle that we're reading, and back in Revelation chapter 19, verse 19, it says, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Well, if we go back to Revelation chapter 16 and 13, that's where we get... The, the phrase Armageddon. Sorry, um, yeah, Revelation chapter 16, 13 to 16. But let me read from 15. Behold, Jesus says, Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew... Armageddon. And the plains of Megiddo do still exist today. You can go and see them. And in Bible prophecy, I'm not going to get into some of the verses in Daniel, but in Bible prophecy, it seems that at the return of Christ, certain nations or many of the nations of the world will gather to try and destroy the nation of Israel and will come as close as the plains of Megiddo and then just before they're able to strike and destroy the
the nation of Israel once and for all, Jesus will come to the rescue of his nation. That will be the place when the church come back, whether they raptured at that moment or whether they've been up in heaven with him, that's depending on your view. But with the angels of God and the armies of God, Jesus will come on that horse at the battle of Armageddon and he will destroy the armies that are ranged against Israel and he will deal with the Antichrist and his false prophet. Now, once he's done that, what happens? Well, I'd like you please to turn with me first to Joel chapter 3 and verse 1 in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 3 and verse 1. Joel 3, 1. For behold, in those days and at that time when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. They have cast lot for my people. Well, isn't it interesting how when we look at the struggles of what's going on in Israel and Palestine, isn't that exactly a picture of the end times? Of people trying, and they've been doing that for the, since Israel was reborn uh, a generation ago. People have been trying to carve it up this way and carve it up that way, haven't they? Well, when Jesus returns, when God returns, he says, there's going to be a day when I deliver Israel that I'm going to gather the nations and I'm going to enter into judgment with the nations of the world on account of the nation of Israel and how they've waged war against her and how they have dealt with her. I'm going to deal with it once and for all. That's what the Lord says, doesn't he? Well, this is going to take place, the judgment of the nations, on Jesus' return. When he comes at the battle of Armageddon and delivers his people, the next thing he will do is enter into the judgment of the nations. You say, is there any more evidence for this? There certainly is. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 and 31. Matthew 25, 31, and note the judgment of the nations, as in Joel. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, his army, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep and his goats. And he will set the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, I don't need to go into the rest of it, do I? You know what happens. And, and, and people come to him and, and, and they say, when did we feed you? When did we clothe you? When did you visit me, me? We don't know when we did these. And the Lord says, as much as you did it unto one of these, you did it to me. Yeah? And then the goats, he says, you didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. You didn't visit me. And they again, they say, well, when, when did this take place? He says, and as much as you didn't do it, to one of these, you did not do it to me. And then verse 46 of chapter 25, he ends this prophecy and says, 
and these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so this is a picture. This judgment, this isn't a judgment for who's going to heaven. Well, this isn't, a, this isn't talking about believers. Okay? It's not talking about us. Because how do we get to heaven? Do we get to heaven by giving someone a drink of water? Do we get to heaven by visiting somebody in prison, as good as that is? Or by feeding them? Does, does that, if we feed, if we do these things, will we go to heaven? No. They're good things to do. Why do we go to heaven? Because we believe in Christ crucified. Whoever believes in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead will be saved. And so this isn't talking about how we as Christians should get to heaven. This is a judgment of the nations and how they have treated Israel or God's people, if that's the church as well, Israel and the church or Israel, you know, God's people in the end days. There's going to be national judgments. And during this period of judgment, Jesus is going to say, some of you tried to protect or were for Israel. In the church. Others, you, others of you tried to destroy them. And those that you that reached out to my people, you will continue into eternal life. But those of you that tried to destroy my people, you will enter into destruction. And so once that judgment of the nation has taken place, immediately at that judgment, the goats, whoever they are in the world that were against God's people after his return he'll judge the goats will be destroyed just like the beast and the antichrist are destroyed so the goats will be dismissed okay but the sheep will remain now this is interesting because when Jesus returns and he separates the sheep from the goats and the goats will be taken away but the sheep will remain there are going to be two types of people on the earth after this judgment. Two types. Because don't forget, we have the sheep left. Yes, the goats are gone. We have the sheep. Who are the sheep? They were the nations and the peoples that they weren't saved because they didn't even know the parable. They said, well, when did we feed you? If they knew this, if they knew this prophecy, they'd say, ah, oh, the prophecy of Matthew 25. They, don't, they had no idea what Jesus was talking about. So they weren't Christian. Well, they will be on the earth, the sheep. But who else will be on the earth? We know that the church, the believers from the Old Testament and New Testament, right up to Jesus' coming, right up to the rapture, they will be on the earth. We will be on the earth. But will we be on the earth in our normal bodies? No. What will have happened to us? We have been glorified. Whenever the rapture takes place, and by this time it doesn't matter because Jesus is down on the earth and he's brought his raptured church with him, okay? Whenever the rapture takes place, it says that we are caught up in the air to meet him and we are transformed, we are glorified. At the moment of the rapture, our body becomes immortal. Those that are dead and buried, they are raised from the earth. Their spirits that have been in heaven with the Lord are now reunited with their bodies that could have been laying in the grave for centuries or thousands of years. 
and their bodies are raised and their bodies are immortal, indestructible, perfect. I always say this, that the rapture, the bodies that we will receive, those of us that are alive at his return, as we greet him in the air, we will be glorified. Our body will be changed, immortal. Those that are dead will be raised from the dead. Those that are dead that believe, the believers that are dead, will be raised with us and their bodies will also be immortal. And I always say that the bodies we will see, receive at the rapture will be so amazing. It's, it's the difference between an acorn and a fully grown oak tree. Because your bodies right now, do you know your body is mortal? Your spirit is immortal because when you die, what happens? I did this series before Christmas. When you die, death is simply the separation of your spirit from your body. And your body goes and decays, but your spirit still exists. It either goes to heaven or it goes to hell. It still exists. The human spirit was created to exist forever. Just like Satan and his angels. When God created the angels, they were created to exist forever. They are spirits that will exist forever. They can't be destroyed. So the human spirit cannot be destroyed. So on the day of resurrection and, and, and rapture, now what will happen is our bodies will finally catch up with our spirits. And at the rapture and the resurrection of the believers from the past, we will have bodies that are indestructible. They are, they were, they are perfect in every way. They can't be destroyed. They can't die. They're not subject to sickness. And guess what? You will be no longer subject to sin. When Jesus returns and we're raptured to be with him, we will no longer be troubled from sin because our bodies will be so immortal, so strong, that sin won't be able to touch them. As it is now, our bodily desires are in a weakened state and temptations can still come. But at that time, we will never again feel temptation. Isn't that wonderful? So you're going to have two types of people on the earth. You're going to have the glorified church. We've read that we will rule and reign with Christ. You'll have your glorified body. You'll never die again. You'll never know sickness. You'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus. You'll have a resurrection body a bit like his that can appear and disappear. He could walk through walls, yet it was a physical body. He could still eat food, correct? So we will have that. So we, when Jesus returns, we will be immortal in spirit and body. Nothing will be able to touch us. Nothing can tempt us. Sin can't get in us. We will be perfectly glorified, the church. And we will rule and reign on this earth with Christ for a thousand years. But what about those sheep that were left, that weren't raptured when Jesus came? But Jesus allowed them to remain. He didn't throw them out with the goats. Well, we'll find that those sheep those human beings, they will still be subject to sickness, death, and sin during those thousand years. And I want to now take you to some scriptures that describe and prophetically describe what this a thousand years will be like. And just before I do that, let me, let me set, set this straight a bit. Jesus has returned, and he's returned with his church that are glorified and perfect. And part of the believer's reward is that we will rule the nations with him. I, I won't go um, 
directly to the scripture, but I, um, I, did, I did write it down. Revelation 2, verse 26. Revelation 2, verse 26 says that one of the rewards of the overcoming believers is that they will rule over the nations with Christ. Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. Turn to it if you want to. Now I'm not going to turn to it. So when are we going to rule and reign with Christ? Well, it's on his return. There's going to be a millennium. We've read that again and again, didn't we? After his return, a thousand years. And during this a thousand years, the devil is going to be chained and imprisoned. Do you remember that? Go back to Revelation, if, where I read that, if not. The devil, we read, is going to be chained for a thousand years. What does that mean? For a thousand years, there will be no demonic influence on the earth. I mean, can you imagine? No demonic influence on the earth. No demonic pressure, no demonic acts. What freedom, what liberty for a thousand years. We'll be ruling and reigning with Christ. We'll be rebuilding the world after all the bowls of wrath had been poured out. We will be ruling, we will be rebuilding. We will be helping Jesus. We'll be ruling and reigning over these sheep with Christ. Why? Some people think that when Jesus returns, that's it, it's all ending, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Well, that's not Revelation teaching. And I think it makes sense that Jesus is going to physically rule and reign with his church on earth for a thousand years, or whatever that period represents. Because God is in the restoration business. And we know how this earth, not just human beings, but the whole of creation fell in Genesis, didn't it? When Adam fell, it wasn't just humanity fell, but the whole of the creative order fell. Romans chapter 8 says the whole of creation is groaning for the revelation of the sons of God. And that means the rapture and return of Jesus. Groaning because the earth is under a curse, correct? That's what one of the curses that God... The earth is under a curse. Creation is under a curse. Creation fell with man. And during this period of the millennium, as, as I'll show you, God is going to reverse the curse and God is going to fill this world and multiply because his plan was always go forth and multiply. He's going to multiply the nations of this earth. They're going to worship the Lord. Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David is going to sit on his throne in Jerusalem and we're going to rule with him and God is going to finally have the earth as he's always wanted it. He's not just going to bring Jesus back and then get rid of the earth. The earth is going to be restored. It's part of God's saving process. The lion will lie down with the lamb. So that's the scene of this a thousand years. You say, well, are there any scriptures to describe this a thousand years? Yes, there are. Um, if we go to Isaiah chapter 11, there are prophecies in Isaiah that couldn't be fulfilled in any other way except after Jesus had returned and the thousand-year rule and reign on the earth with his church. Isaiah 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equi in equity the meek for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth 
and with the breath of his lips you shall slay the wicked. That's a picture of the Antichrist. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Now listen. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Let's eat grass. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's snake's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What is that a description of? It's not now, is it? It's a description of what life will be like on earth when Jesus comes to rule and reign for the millennium, a thousand years, with his church. You see, in the beginning, when God created the world, he created it good. Was there any death in the world that God created? Was there any sickness in the world that God created? No, there wasn't. Why? Because he created it good. These things came in when mankind in Adam turned against God. And so when God created the world, the lion did lie down with the lamb. Animals didn't eat one another when God created the world. You say, are you sure about that? I am sure about that. Because the Bible says that death came into the world through Adam. So when God created... I mean, if I, let, let's face it. If I created the world, if you created the world, would you create things to eat each other? No, you wouldn't. You're sick if you did. No. Would you create a world with sickness in it? Would you create a world with the ground that was cursed? Would you create a world where people died? No, of course not. And one of the, one of the uh, awful accusations against God by unbelievers is that God created the world as it is, that it's not fallen. I was uh, teaching um, apologetics, how to defend your faith for the second years, and one of the students brought in a newspaper, was it last week or the week before? The week before, Evening Standard, was it? Metro. And in it, um, David Attenborough was, th was saying, they were saying, David Attenborough, this was an article two weeks ago, do you believe, when you look at the beauty of creation, I'm paraphrasing, that, that God created the world? He said, I do not believe that God created the world. It's blasphemy to say that God would create a world where by a river in Africa, a young African child could receive a micro, almost microscopic worm that would worm into his eye and then destroy his brain. What sort of God would create a worm like that that would destroy a child's mind? It's blasphemy to say that God created this world. And many Christians wouldn't know how to answer that, but you've got to remember, wait a second, Richard, that's not what we believe. We don't believe that God created a little worm to destroy people's brains. Not in the beginning. Richard, it's your fault. It's my fault. It's our ancestors' fault, because we all in Adam sinned. We broke it. We made it worse. When we fell... The creation that was created for us could no longer be perfect. God said, if, they go, if man who's the ruler falls, you've got to go with him. It's our fault. 
But part of God's redemptive plan is not just to redeem our souls, but to redeem the creation back to us. So that's why we read the reversal of the curse during this period. Let's also go to Isaiah chapter 65. Verse 18. Isaiah 65, verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, and nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. Now listen to this. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, curse, nor, listen, nor bring forth children in trouble. It's a reference to the curse of childbearing, the pain of childbearing, yeah? Not the curse of childbearing, but, you know, the pain that came. For they shall be descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear... The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food, and they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. See that environment's going to change? There's a picture of the sheep. The sheep. The sheep. We, of course, we're ruling and reigning with Christ. We're not going to die again. We're not going to get sick. We're glorified, perfect. You hear what I'm saying? But the sheep, they're, now, they're going to continue to live during this period. They're going to get married. They're going to have children. But look, their lifespan is going to be the life of the span of a tree. And if somebody dies at 100 years old, it'll be like, poor child. Poor child. Isn't that amazing? Now, you might think to yourself, wow, that's a bit weird. Not really. Do you remember how long some of these people lived before the flood? Hundreds and hundreds of years. And some people look at that and say, that's ridiculous. Hundreds and hundreds, it's not ridiculous at all. <laughs> we were meant to live forever. And what happened was, is that after the flood, when the flood took place, many, many, many climatical changes took place on the earth. And after the flood, you see a dramatic reduction in how long people lived. Because before the flood, I'm, I'm not a scientist, I've read books on this, but I'm not a scientist, so... But before the flood, it was like living in a greenhouse. After the flood, it was like living in a desert. And I remember in Yorkshire, when I lived in North Yorkshire, in Harrogate, which is a cold, windy place, I'm glad I live in the south now. Whenever I look at, like, the weather reports, I always just feel glad that I'm a southerner now, a Londoner, because they're up there freezing cold. And I'm not, so praise the Lord for London and the South. And that's the Northerner talking. Amen. God can do anything. But, now I've lost my... Ah, yeah. Outside, my father had a greenhouse. And there were things in that greenhouse that would never, ever survive 
the winter or anything in the cold northern Yorkshire. But in this greenhouse, and sometimes even on a winter's day, I would go into the greenhouse if it was a sunny winter's day and think, oh, it's so lovely in here. You know what I'm saying? And you can get other greenhouses that have, all, have their own heating, don't they? That's why we can grow um, tomatoes and all these things in Britain, because we have greenhouses. So before the flood, I'm going off my subject, don't I? Before the flood, it, we were like in a greenhouse environment. Afterwards, when the firmament in the, in the air uh, was taken away, it was like we were taken out of a greenhouse. So that's the explanation. But God's going to restore the blessing on the earth. And so now people are going to, they will still die because they haven't been raptured yet, the sheep, like we have. They haven't been raised from the dead like, like we have. But they're going to live long. It's going to be God restoring the earth. And then finally, to give you a picture, because I'll, I'll take some questions, let's go to Zechariah chapter 14 that speaks about the pilgrimages and the wonderful things that are going to take place during this period. And then I'll bring it to a close. Okay, Zechariah... <clears throat> what did I say? Zechariah 14. Well, first of all, we can see again a picture of the second coming. Zechariah 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. That's the second coming. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. And the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, etc., etc. But then, verse 3. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. You ever heard? People talk about the fact when Jesus has returned, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. You ever heard that? Well, there's the scripture. Which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west. Anyway, let me move forward. It's a great passage to, um, to read. But let's go to verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, everyone that's left, the sheep, of those that came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. And then, I don't know to go into that, but you see there's going to be worship in Jerusalem and uh, all these wonderful things. Then what will happen at the end? Well, let me just take you there very quickly. Um... Chapter 21 of Revelation continues the story. Well, we got to the white throne, didn't we? What will happen at the end of the millennium, according to Revelation, very briefly, is this. Is that the devil will be released from his prison for a short while. And the devil will come to the earth at the end of the millennial, the end of the thousand years, and what will he do? He will deceive the nations. You say, well, how will that happen? Look. Everybody has been tempted and tested. Adam was tempted and tested, wasn't he? And he failed. We, in our lives, have temptations and testings, don't we? Jesus was tempted and tested, wasn't he? But he succeeded. Now, you think about these generations that are growing up in the millennium. I mean, they cannot not believe. If someone says, I don't believe in Jesus, I'll say, get on the plane... I'll take you to see him. He's there in Jerusalem. 
Look, how, look, here are the glorified church. You know, now you see me, now you don't. Here I am again, it's my glorified body. So you're going to, and also without the devil being there, there's going to be no spiritual resistance, is there? So whole generations of people are going to live up, with, live and grow up without having their faith tested. And all faith must be tested. And so it's right that at the end of this time, the devil is released and he tests their faith. And you might say, well, how could anyone, knowing that Jesus is in Jerusalem, believe the devil's lie? Well, how could Adam and Eve believe the serpent's lie? You know? How could Adam... He will come and he will deceive many of them. And that's when the last battle will take place. And we will destroy the devil and we will destroy those that have chosen the devil rather than Christ. Their faith was tested and proven to be false. And then there is a white throne. This is the second resurrection. Because remember, the first resurrection was only believers, wasn't it? The rapture and believers. The second resurrection at the white throne, that will be, you might say, well, what about those that died? Well, don't worry about those who believed and died in the millennium. Let's not worry about them. God, we, we, we always try and keep these things simple. But basically, the resurrection will be the resurrection of all those that died in unbelief. And so we don't have to worry about the white throne we've already actually been judged. You know, if, you, if you're a Christian here today, you've already been judged and pronounced not guilty because of your faith in Jesus. God will judge us to see if we're worthy of reward, but we've already passed and got into heaven. We've been pronounced not guilty, justified by faith alone. But these will be the unbelievers of all times and all nations, and they won't be judged according to the blood of Jesus, will they? They will be judged according to what? Their works. The law will judge them. And it'll be like, okay, we're going to judge you by your works. Let's see why I should let you into my heaven. What have you done? And of course, the only person who could ever go into heaven by his works was Jesus himself. But then when all that's sorted, in chapter 21, we have a new heaven and a new earth. God is going to surpass himself. He is going to totally change the earth. He's going to roll up the earth and roll up the heavens. It's going to be the most incredible sight to see. And he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. Who knows what that is going to be like? I mean, there'll be dimensions of living and light. We, we just, you can't, it'll blow our minds. A new heavens and a new earth. And it's going to be so wonderful. And there'll be no more crying, no more dying, only joy. And, and the Revelation chapter 21, read it today if you can. It is such a blessing because it shows us about the... The crystal river of life. Oh, it's marvellous. And that's, that's where we're going to end up, all right? But we've got a few minutes left, so I wonder if any of you have got any questions of clarification over the, some of the things that I have said. Because when you first hear this teaching, it's a bit weird. But then that's because we're used to a fallen world. And when Jesus returns, everything's going to change. All right, who's got a question of clarification or about these things? Lift your hand, don't be shy. Yeah, we're going to, in the microphone so we can speak of Israel, Sorry, just speak. Are, when you speak of Israel, yes. are you speaking of Israel of old or Israel of new? Because the border lines have been redefined now. So are you talking about that area that includes Palestine? I, I'm, I'm yeah. confused on that. Okay. When I talk about Israel, I'm really talking about the people of the nation of Israel. 
So last week I spoke about Israel in the end times. And you can, I don't know if you were here, but you can, you can go on the internet, it's there. And I spoke about what's going to happen to the nation of Israel in the end times. And we spoke about the fact that Paul speaks that in the end all Israel will be saved. Will be a, that would be the last great revival. So I'm talking about Israel as a nationality. Whatever land they have or they don't have, the nationality, rather than which piece of Palestine or which they end up having or not. Yeah. Does that help a little bit? If you go to my... Uh, yeah. Another question. Yes. Uh, my question for you is, uh, we, we do have a lot of signs at the end of the day. So who is responsible for those which are not saved? If, if you assume Jesus, Jesus is coming very, very, very soon. Is it the church? Who is responsible for saving souls? No, for those who are, who are not saved at all. Who is responsible for them? Yeah. They are responsible for their own. You see, what we know is this. If anybody rejects Christ, they're damned. And that's their responsibility. That, that is clear. And the only way that we can be saved is through the gospel. That's why I'll be speaking tonight on the confidence of the gospel. That's why we've got to get the gospel out. And that's why the devil tries to keep the gospel silent. Because a gospel that's not preached can't save. But a gospel that is preached will save. And so the battle is about confidence in the gospel. That, that's a, a good question. Thank you. Some, some others, some other questions. Right at the back, all right, there, and then right at the back, Daniel, the gentleman. Yep, yep. Um, what's the situation with... A bit louder, sorry. sorry what's the situation with uh, either very young children or uh, children that don't actually get as far as being born? Yes. Um, well, we, we have a... What, did you all hear that? What happens to children that... that um, there is an illustration of David when um, Bathsheba's... Uh, has a child by him and the child doesn't live and David says the child won't come back to, he, he, he doesn't mourn and he says and they say why aren't you mourning he says well the child won't come to me but I will go to the child we see that Jesus speaks about little children and little babies and he says you must become like one of these to be in the kingdom of God and he blesses them and the disciples said leave them alone don't bless them he said no these are the kingdom of God and so you can't reject a gospel that you don't understand. And you won't be held accountable for rejecting a gospel you don't understand. I have a severely mentally disabled daughter. She can't understand the gospel, but God's all over her and in her life. I see God touching, I see it in amazing ways. And so we're talking about the age when someone can understand, whatever age that is, it'll be different for people, and I, I couldn't put an age on it, I don't think it'd be right to, when someone can understand and reject God. I remember the day I said to myself, as a young boy of seven, eight, I don't believe in God. I remember that day when I was in rebellion to God. And I remember that. So that, that's all I can say about that. But, yeah. 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 Um, probably going on from what you just said, um, you said that the devil and his henchmen have spirits, so obviously they'll... Sorry, can you speak out? Yeah, sure, sorry. Uh, you said that the devil and, yes. for the want of a better word, his henchmen have spirits so they'll never die. Yes. At the end of the talk, slightly before the end of the talk, you said that there'll be, after the thousand years, after the millennium, uh, everybody will be tested who have never been tested. Yeah. The devil will be released and will test them. Yeah. And then there'll be a final battle. Yeah. Just going ahead, on this final... I'm going to try and articulate this best I can. On this final battle... 
Will the devil and his followers be killed or, okay, as you've stated, will they just live forever because they've got a spirit? Well, Can you just clarify that? When we talk about death, we, we always have to say, what do we mean by death? Because the Bible uses death in different ways. So when we talk about physical death, it's the separation of the spirit from the body, okay? But there is a state of death called spiritual death. And in the passage that we read together in Revelation, it says that the beast and the devil will be thrown in and, and will be thrown into the lake of fire and hell will be thrown into the lake of fire where day and night forever and ever there will be torment. Okay? So that is a picture of eternal conscious punishment. Okay? Um, they are to say that they're alive is the wrong word because we use the word life as being saved. But, but they are still in existence. They, they do not lose their existence. But that is what we call eternal death is a conscious experience of the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. That's eternal death. What we don't mean is that spirits, saved spirits, or spirits that end up being damned, they are not destroyed or cease to exist. An angel spirit will always exist. And a human spirit will always exist. The question is, where will they exist? Will they exist in eternal bliss with eternal life? Or will they exist in a state of what we would call eternal death or conscious punishment in hell? That, 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 that these are the, uh, the, the sort of things that we're talking about, about, about that. All right, wonderful. Well, that's not wonderful, some of it, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Wonderful that we made it through another teaching service. And uh, we'll continue on this theme throughout this month. And then uh, next month we are going to spend time looking at Israel and the Bible. Israel and the Bible, where we're going to do some more folk. We'll look at their feasts and everything like that and their relationship to the church in a bit more depth. Uh, that's, that's, that's where we're going with this. So, it'd be great if some of you were able to stay for the 7 o'clock revival ministry service. If not... Have a wonderful evening. Don't forget, if you've missed any of these series, get on the KT website, go on the media page, scroll down to series, press on the series you want, and it will give you all the things to watch at your leisure. Thank you.